It has been a while, Teresa. That's right. Hey, Clark. And a lot has happened over the last uh, while since we've been chatting together. And I think it's probably a good idea to get a little bit caught up on that. True. Um, I was just thinking earlier on whether you were back in Canada already when we last spoke, but I think you were. Yes, I was I was recording in a 13-year-old boy's oh, bedroom. That's true, yes. It's my favorite recording so far, by the way. That So I've been in now, I went through three Airbnbs since coming back from Japan. And of course, I had to modify my each of those Airbnbs for various, uh, for recording or conference calls. And actually, I I didn't do any pod, uh, any podcasting from the second Airbnb, which was a cottage out in Huntsville, Ontario. It's about two hours north of Toronto, actually a little over two hours north of Toronto. So I never actually did any podcasting from there. Oh, no, that's not true. Uh, Ed and I recorded an episode with um, Outside. Outside. It was the first outdoor recording. And um, that's going to be available probably as bonus content because um, that one got a little bit, a uh, little bit racy. I cannot wait. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What do we got on tap today? Uh, what, what have you got there? You um, put some things together, and I think we're we have uh, three kind of areas where we're going to talk about. What's what's the first thing you want to yeah, talk about? Well, listen, I, I I thought we'd catch up on where we have been. So you've been moving around, but I hear you're also back yeah. in your in your old house, in your actual home. Um, I did want to talk about the um, 2.0 or complaint challenge um, that we had spoken about earlier this summer. Um, Then I've been dating. um, And then I think we should speak about friends. How many do you need? Does long distance friendship work out? I think I'm interested to talk about these topics. All right. Yeah, could be tough to fit that in, but this we'll just go with it we'll and see where we it. if we run out of time we'll we'll pick up another topic on a different episode, but those sound good. Um yeah, so where are you right now? I am in Italy. I last time we spoke I was with my grandparents, Oma and Opa. After a little bit over three months, it was really nice, but it got a little bit too much. So and also my grandmother said, You gotta get out. You cannot stay in this village forever. And I could feel myself increasingly becoming, I guess unhappy is not the right word, but just, you know, feeling an itch and just that that, that wasn't ready, you know, that wasn't for me. Um, and and so I, I made the decision to co- go to a place where I could take a train. I wasn't ready to fly it. Um, took the train down to Italy, mostly because from my little German village to Bologna, which was my first stop, I was able to get there within two train interchanges, long train ride. Um, I'm sure it was a risk. How long? Inter- uh, 12 hours. Um, surely that was a Corona risk because you're exposing yourself for so long, but um, no, it was good. Mm. So I've been in Bologna, I've been in Venice. And then for the past month I've been in Florence and I'm just um, wrapping up here. Um, I'm leaving on, on Tuesday. I'm headed back to Oman Opa. Um, and looks like I'm taking on a new job. I've quit my old role, so big news. Quit yeah. the old role. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, got an offer on the table. Needs to be signed, so more on that um, when the time is ripe to talk about that. But I'll be in Germany. Yeah, that's, that's great. And you're going to be in, uh, where again is Hanover, Germany? Yes, I'm going to be in Hanover. Yes. Yeah. 
And it, and I think you said you had never, never been to Hanover before. I had not been until I recently flew over for a job interview. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but it was good. It's 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 got it's got a reputation as as Germany's most boring city. Um, but people who live there, I thought that was Frankfurt. I think that's just that's just a different level. I don't think Frankfurt is boring, but it's just also not great. I think Hanover is really quaint and, and it's quite beautiful. I didn't think so. Um, so I'm excited. I'll, I'll report on how that's going when all is done and dusted. Yeah, I think that could make for an interesting topic, the starting the new job topic. And we can maybe go through some of the, just how companies are onboarding people these days. And, you know, you've been to, you've been at a couple of different companies in the last few years and maybe comparing a little bit to how you got onboarded in your last job, which was kind of more of a startup company and maybe not as like the big corporations. You have these sort of sophisticated and sometimes not sophisticated onboarding processes. It'd be interesting to hear how that goes. Mm-hmm. Especially too in the COVID era. I mean, starting a new job in amid COVID, that's something I've been thinking about as I myself am contemplating looking for a new job, um, is what's it going to be like interviewing during COVID? Maybe not so much strangeness there, but just coming into a new company and being meeting your colleagues and it's all going to be, like maybe things will be a little more progressed or are more progressed that maybe you'll have some face-to-face contact with, with people, but... Yeah, um, well, luckily, yeah, so these people have started coming back to, to the office. I think I'm feeling comfortable because it's also in, an, in, a, in a region of Germany where I feel, you know, where I originally come from, and I've met these people before. Um, however, there's one person on that specific team who joined one week before the lockdown in Germany, and she moved to Hanover from as far away as it gets on this globe. Um, didn't know anybody, went there for a week, immediately they went into lockdown. So that's that's sort of the worst case. Mm. Um, right. Yeah. What about you? So you're you're back at your old house, huh? Yep. So this is the house we moved out of three three years ago, just over three years ago. The, the house we had lived in since 2008. And when we went, moved to Japan, we turned it over to a tenant who lived here for those three years. And I, I'm happy to say that when we got the house back, he had kept it in really good condition um, there's a few minor repairs that need to be done, but nothing too, too bad. Um, and I think it's, it's made the return in a lot of ways easier. I think even though Canada is my home, had we come back and moved into say a new neighborhood or a new house, it would have made that transition of coming home, which some people say can be very challenging. Actually, after you spend time abroad, moving home can be a little bit challenging, there's a bit of a culture thing there. Uh, but the fact that we're moving into our old home, we've got our, our neighbors that we know, although a few sadly have passed on since we, we were gone. Um, this, is a, this neighborhood I live in does have a, a fair-sized seniors community. And so uh, our neighbors to the right of us were replaced by a young couple with a baby on the way. And uh, I haven't met everybody else that's new yet, but generally we're just kind of fitting back in and 
just in that unpacking stage, which um, I don't know if you can see behind me, but I've got a box. Yeah, I can see that. That's upright and it needs to be, I think it's something new we have to build. So yeah, it's a little messy, but the kids started school last week, which was also a big deal. Went went to school in person, uh, new schools for both of them. And week one went okay. And hopefully um, that, I mean, to me, that's the biggest thing right now, that if society is going to be able to properly move on, for many people, it's going to depend on those schools because them, the kids being home is, is crazy. If, if we're trying to work and, get, and have any kind of structure to our day, it's so hard to do when you've got two kids here and trying to keep them on top of the schoolwork and everything. So a society has this, its best chance of returning to normal for many, many people if the kids can get back to school and stay in school. So I'm crossing my fingers that um, they can sustain this and they don't get, you know, a massive spike in infections that starts sending kids home and lockdowns starting all over again. Just crossing my mm-hmm. fingers on that. Yeah, I, I hear you. And um, it's, it's, it's strange because from my perspective as a person who is single and doesn't have any kids, you think like, oh yeah, it must be really bad. I don't want to be in your shoes or in your, or in your wife's shoes with, with kids at home. I've got so many friends who've got kids at home. Um, but it, hearing you talk like that, um, I think I'm grasping as to how much it disrupts just the normal daily life. And, and you say routine structure. It's just, you know, we all follow our jobs and kids got to go to school. It's just so important. It's just, it's not just a matter of, oh, we'll stay home for a couple of weeks and enjoy our time together. But it's just, there's so much mm-hmm. more behind that. Um, okay, good. Yeah, until they went back to until they went back to school net last week, we had been consistently together as a family for the, literally six months. And that's a good thing. But imagine that, that and I, I mean, I haven't traveled anywhere the only trip we've taken was um, that was no even even coming home we were we were all together as a family on the on the flight home, but I mean you know how it was I used to take when I used to travel I'd be gone sometimes for up to two weeks at a time uh, when I would come back to Canada and try to build some family time into those trips so we would have three or four times a year where we were spending a couple weeks separated so yeah. It's uh, for me when the kids went back to school and they came home and were talking about seeing their friends and doing stuff. That's when I was like, this is what normal sounds like and what we hopefully will be able to continue. I hope. All right. So we're going to catch up a little bit on, well, we kind of caught up on what's going on in our lives, but we did bring this topic up in a previous episode, our 2.0 project and our no complaint challenge and they sort of I guess 2.0 is the overall arching you know improvement plan if you will around with regard to how we maybe want to show up in the world a new newer improved versions of ourselves and I think today we wanted to focus a little bit on the no complaint challenge I I mean I wanted to just start out by saying when we last talked about this, I was pretty on top of the challenge. Like, And just to recap for those that don't know, the no complaint challenge is you put a wristband on. It can be anything as simple as a, an elastic band 
to you know one of those sort of Lance Armstrong type jobs, or a, I think your your nephew made you one, didn't he? Did didn't he? Yeah. A, um, that you something that's easy enough to switch from one wrist to the other, and the the challenge is to go twenty one days without complaining, and in the beginning, you will com- obviously as your brain is getting used to trying not to complain so much. The idea is you just, anytime you do complain, you switch the wrist uh, from, or the, move the band from one wrist to the other. I have to say in the beginning, I was probably switching it two or three times a day. And then it got down to like one. And then I think it was that when we hit that second Airbnb and we had lots of family coming over, um, it fell off the way, by the wayside. So I have not been really participating in the no complaint challenge for, gosh, um, probably over a month now, and but I really want to get back into it. Yeah, and I I agree. I was just like you. I was pretty much on top of it um, when we spoke about it, and then I fell off the wagon. And I want to, oh God, I said that then that I thought I was being quite a dick back then, and I think um, this no complaint challenge and the vision of a Teresa two point has opened up a portal into anger hell. I'm not sure if I'm just Mm. more aware of it, um, but currently, it's gotten a bit better, um, but I have been feeling like I'm constantly angry at something and it's costing me so much energy and this is not who I'm supposed to be. Um, I realized that before I went to... um, to Italy and it was a good thing right because I thought like okay well this is not your normal you but it was also not a normal situation in in this pandemic um you're living with your grandparents you're just not used to that um and so I figured I think of ways of changing that and number one step I'm taking myself out of that my grandparents are just great they're the best but if you have lived away and alone you've been alone for 15 years it's just really hard right and you're a city person and mm-hmm. you're living on a yes. it's just not possible so it's like okay i'll take myself out of sort of that equation and so I, I think it's gotten a little bit better since i've been in italy and just being able to roam around and and have activities etc um, but then there's still so much anger and i get just wound up so quickly which i really hate and i think it's bad for your who you are and your soul and your brain and and perhaps you know probably your body because there is a lot of illnesses that are related to stress and anger um and i think it was so number one was getting out of that village and then number two is me quitting my current job and so two major changes um and i'm so i'm hoping that'll do um but I'm, I'd be super excited if you and I were to hop on that challenge again. It's funny. I see you taking notes, and it feels like I'm talking to a psychologist right now. <laughs> <You're> putting it. <laughs> oh, I just don't want to forget things that I'm thinking of as you're talking. Yes, it gets no. Put into yeah. some sort of like a folder or something. Right, right. Um, yeah, Teresa, before we start, just let me grab your file. <laughs> it's like a massive one, like these massive rotating ones. <laughs> <laughs> No, the, you know what came to mind? The reason why I, I, one thing I wrote, the thing I did write down there is there's a book called Triggers by Marshall Goldsmith. And I've, I've actually listened to the audio book and enjoyed it quite a bit. It, in it, he, he describes 
how certain we it's all about identifying our triggers the things that set us off and trying to so i think it's very much related to the no complaint challenge in a sense that by with the no complaint challenge it does cause us to kind of pay attention to the triggers right Mm -hmm. so when you actually make a complaint and then physically reach for the thing and move it off from one wrist to the other it's like a three or four second moment of consciousness around what it is perhaps that has triggered you so i'm i don't think we can we'll go and we won't go into the book too much now i need to refresh myself but it could be one that we might want to explore and maybe do a little report out on I'd in a love future that. episode we should and and you and i have spoken about things that trigger us um you have covered a couple of these stories in previous podcasts i think but let's yeah the the book and and triggers themselves call for an individual um episode i think I agree. I agree. We can almost dedicate it to that. So what should we do with 2.0 or with the no complaint? I think we should lay out maybe some parameters for the no complaint challenge just so we can set it up here as we're we're talking. And then maybe over the next two times we record, we can do little report outs on our progress. Um, So what essentially are we agreeing to here? Do we want to say 21 days of of the challenge of no complaint and then take maybe take some notes around how that challenge is going and then we can come back and report out on it in a in a future episode i i like that and and to me it's it's gonna be around complaints self-regulate self-regulate is a very nice word and a very nice thing to and um be calm and composed really um not engaging with your with the triggers and the things that anger me so much. Yeah, let's do that. I think this would be great for the listeners as well if they chose to jump on board with mm-hmm. us. And I mean, we I'd certainly be interested in hearing anybody else that that does this challenge that they send us some notes or comments or feelings or questions, and uh, be happy to read that and share some of some of their learnings from it because i really do this think this is a worthwhile episode or worthwhile at practice so first of all let's get this straight though what what qualifies as a complaint in terms of the com- no complaint challenge so a complaint is what's the word qualified by well as an example um okay so for me anytime like if somebody's like if I'm driving and somebody maybe drives in front of me, take into the lane in front of me and doesn't signal or doesn't, um, maybe doesn't does it in a kind of an aggressive way. The the no complaint challenge would be that I wouldn't I wouldn't complain about mm-hmm. it. I wouldn't be like, I'll look at that jerk or that asshole, which is something I probably would say. So that would qualify to me as a complaint, but. I've had this conversation with my wife a couple times who has said, you know, if you bottle all this stuff up, it's not healthy. But I said, no, that's not quite the same. If I, it's not like I'm bottling it up. It's just, I'm choosing not to be angered by it or, and not to vocalize in particular, not to vocalize my feelings. Well, you're internally rectifying itself, right? This is like, um, it's like your inner child is obviously creating that fuss about that driver in front of you. And then your inner adult is telling you, well, you know, he might be in a hurry because 
he has to get somewhere real quick. He's late for a job. You, you know, they, they, you can you can argue yourself into not finding it that agitative, agitating anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 that is when you're, I think, and I I agree with you when you're not bottling it up, but you're kind of making things right. You're finding yourself a reasonable yeah. explanation as to why that is, and that calms you down. Whereas bottling up would be just like you're shutting up about it, but it's still bubbling on the inside, right? Right, right. So I'm thinking of just as you're talking, there are some triggers of my own that cause me to complain. So one would be somebody canceling at the last minute on something. I love uh, that. Let's say I'm planning to go out. Someone calls me and or sends me a note saying, hey, man, got a bail. Uh, I no longer, I'm, I'm not able to come out tonight after all. Sorry, I'm beat. So that would be, I think, a good example of where you just say, okay, and you just you just accept it and you don't complain about it. You don't say to them, oh, how could you do that? You're canceling the last minute. Or to say to my wife, yeah, Mike canceled the on me. He's no longer coming out. Like, why would he go tell me now? Couldn't you have told me this yesterday or Friday? Or So I think that's a good example of something I know that I would typically complain about. Yeah. What about noise? Something's noisy outside. Uh, somebody's running one of those like... <sighs> hedge clippers or, yeah. or trimmers or, I, and it's making tons of noise that's that's a good example of something where i would probably say this guy has been cutting his grass for the last four hours it's seven thirty in the morning what's going on <laughs> yeah and and i and i get it um i i share that with am you. i making you more agitated just you, saying you, all these things you are because i'm thinking about all of the things that get me <laughs> the other day i was on the phone to someone um, it was a conference call with multiple people and we had our cameras on and I'm looking at somebody and they're taking an apple and putting it towards their mouth and I just dislike the sound of an apple being bitten into it. It's like, it's like eating, just you don't do that, right? You go outside to eat an apple or crisp or something like that. And um, there's yeah. a word for it, misophonia, actually, if you cannot stand the sound of chewing. Um, but mm. <laughs> yeah, but leave. There's a thing for every phobia out there, by there, the way. There there's, there's ones for fear of beards. Panogophobia or something is the fear of beards. Quite dirty. There's 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 <laughs> apparently more bacteria in your beard than there's on a toilet seat. Oh boy! And here I am growing a <laughs> beard. Um, so no, I, yeah, it. Um, no, I hear you. I just. Um, you know what? I think I have, since we last spoke about this no complaint challenge, I've gotten so bad and I've gotten so enra- en- enraged about the world and what's going on and, and the little things. I'm sweating the little stuff um, that I don't even have any, because what happens in the no complaint challenge is you're getting enraged, but then in order to not switch the bracelet from one wrist to the other, you are you're justifying it, right? Am I putting this right? You're saying um, something like, well, you had to cut your, your trees the other day. You had to mow your, you mow your lawn the other day. So this is just normal. He's got a garden just like I do. And by that, you're making it void. Um, mm. However, you're telling me about these things. And I'm having a really hard time coming up with these um, justifications, um, which makes me think I'm in dire need of this challenge. <laughs> well, where I first heard about this was through Tim Ferriss. He, okay, so he says here, Tim. this is Tim Ferriss, says, I defined complaining for myself as follows. 
describing an event or person negatively without indicating next steps to fix the problem. Okay, so that's a little bit of a different take. So he can, he can actually, you can make it known that you have an issue, uh, something negative, but you're also going to fix the problem. I don't know. Do we want to add that? Uh, do we want it to be that way or do we want to just stifle complaints? Um, c- complaints, I'd say. Okay. He says here too, I later added the usual four-letter words and other common profanity as complaint qualifiers, which forced me to reword, thus forcing awareness and more precise thinking. So he says here, following the above definition, both of the following would require a wrist switch. So saying something like, man, I went into the post office and had to stand behind this rude jerk for 30 minutes. What a waste of time. That, 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 that would be a, a qualified. Complaint. Yes. Uh, or here's another one. Or John can be such an asshole. Totally uncalled for. Yeah, definite complaint. Yeah. Okay. So he and just to fit, just to close the thought around his sort of modification here, and let's just consider it for one sec. He said an example variation of what wouldn't count as a complaint, and this is where we can decide whether we agree with this or not. Is back to his post office example. Man, I went into the post office and had to stand behind this rude guy for thirty minutes. It was a waste of time. From now on, I'll go in the mornings before 10 a.m. to avoid the crowd. Hmm. And that's good, right? Because that immediately gives you something to, like, your internal reasoning, and it gives you an outlet, right? Because that is almost like an external person. That's your inner adult telling you, well, next time, just go a little bit early, and you're going to avoid all of that stress. Like... I'm just listening to that and I'm immediately feeling calmed down because there is a solution Mm. to that. Um, And I think what you have to do with this challenge is you cannot wait for for another person, for an outsider to tell you, hey, Clark, next time just go. You got to be that anchor for yourself, right? You got to, we're grownups. You got to be that person for yourself to um, snap out of it. And, And by that, I don't mean just tell yourself, snap out of it, but give yourself like a logical um, explanation or solution in that case. Yeah, it does. It does actually add a a little bit of the, like when you go back to the example, when my wife said that you're going to bottle all this up, it's, you need to get these things out. This kind of tackles that piece. So it does allow you to vocalize the, the specific thing, but then you come up with the solution right afterwards so so what do we want to do do we we're allowed to vocalize as long as we have that kind of reframe to go right after it i'm for that okay yeah i think that has more chance of succeeding however hang on rather than when i'm by myself i I don't have to speak it out loud but i have to do that reasoning in my head correct okay yeah 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 yeah, you don't have to vocalize it out loud you just (laughs) you imagine (laughs) sitting on the train okay from now on i'm going to go to the post office before 10 a.m every every time but what comes to avoid the lineup like this jerk standing in front of me but next time i (laughs) yeah i'll be trouble okay good yes okay so we'll we'll um We'll report out on this, take little notes, uh, at least uh, mental notes, um, as we go through this and 
share our experience. Sounds good. How queer am I? Yeah. How queer are we? <laughs> How queer are we? Yes. Um, so explain this one. What what uh, what brought this topic so, to well, mind? So, well, I said, like in the intro, I try to go out and date um, while so was stuck with my grandparents, who are not, I think we we spoke about this. Um, they don't know I'm queer, but um, I went on Tinder, thought I'd find myself a nice date. And if you're looking for for a lesbian date on Tinder, you're going to widen your radius because where I'm from, there's not going to be many queers. So I had to do it like uh, countrywide. Right. Not widen your options. You're going to widen your yeah, radius. Exactly. Yeah, um, so Within I, 500 kilometers. Exactly. <laughs> so I met with this girl around three hours train ride from from where I live and um you know we are texting and I I can already sense she's a tough nut to crack um she's lesbian you know I'm pansexual and so that's already like a tough nut to crack like I'm ready like um um what's the word inferior to her like I have to come up to her standards for her to even look at me um anyhow wait in your mind or like in my mind probably but Maybe also in her mind, um, the pan and the bi people are not. We've got a reputation among the proper gays. Um, we're not committing. Cannot make up our mind. It's always a risk we're going to run off with somebody else. Um, so far to stereotyping. Now let me get on to the next stereotype. Her and I get on really well. We go on a first hiking date, and it's it's quite sweet. Uh, we met in the middle between her place and my place. Um, and then two weekends later, I go and visit her in her city. Um, and it was nice. It was intense. Uh, it, was, it was a bit clingy. It was very, like, look at us. We're a couple already. Um, I had to meet all of her friends. <laughs> Um, it was very exhausting to make an impression. Um, and then I left. Well, number one, um, how queer am I? Whilst I was there, I constantly wondered, like, am I really queer or am I perhaps actually just straight? What's wrong with me? Like, there's something already going on there. Um, mm. However, when I'm in a straight relationship or in some sort of a straight thing, I always think I'm I'm gay or I'm queer at least. Um, anyhow, I'm leaving, and um, here's a stereotype around lesbians. It is said that they want to move in after the first date. Basically, they're called U-Haul lesbians <laughs> because they want to move. I just rented a U-Haul truck yesterday, by the yeah. way. Um, and so um, it, I, I tried dating, but it. So after this second date, um, I was, there was an inquisition as to how we can make this seriously work um, with my traveling lifestyle and her being very busy in the city that she lives, very busy job, a lot of friends. She was barely ever home, really. Um, so I, I was asked to, to mend my schedule around, about, around her life, um, which wasn't instantly possible and I said so I said like well give me two or three weeks to you know sort out my my schedule and then you know we can definitely do this somehow see each other more often 
which wasn't accepted. Like at that stage, I was um, asked whether I'm taking this serious, if I really wanted this. I mean, long story short, it, it just suffocated me after two dates. It was so intense. So yeah, I, I wonder if I've, come, if I've come across like a proper stereotype of lesbian there. They do want to move in real quick. Um, and what to do with that? Hmm. So from a feelings, I mean, how did you feel about the, the idea of like, was she literally wanting to move in or that's just the vibe you were getting? She didn't suggest that. Um, but after two dates, there was definitely really clear, um, well, the, 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 the actual text message that I received was, well, I'm asking you to seriously consider how the two of us are going to make this work in our everyday lives. Um, mm, <laughs> which, wow. which is, that is, that is quite strong, right? Um, that sounds like somebody who wants to really get to the point. Maybe they've had the, a lot, they've wasted their time and either this is their personality or they are just decided, I'm just going to operate this way to just get to the point really fast. Could be, could be. And I wonder what, what caused that, what caused her to think that, right? Was it something flaky about me? Was it around my, my lifestyle traveling quite a bit, not having a proper place to live at, um, that she's like, okay, well, is she really down for anything serious or is just this just for fun? But in doing so, like that made an escape super easy for me. Like nobody wants to um, agree to that, right? Tell me if I'm if I'm wrong, but you wouldn't have been like, oh yeah, let me drop everything and I'll I'll be with you, sweetheart. Yeah, well, I was gonna say that, and I think this is something we've ta- talked about before. Is how I wonder how many relationships never go anywhere because somebody kind of takes this route of really getting to the chase quickly around logistics and commitment that had it just been another two weeks, a month, three months before this sort of stuff came up, would it have allowed the relationship to form and and bond a little bit so that it's actually more of a normal conversation for for this type of discussion than it to be happening after, you know, one date? Yeah. And and I think I would have, even I have been in the um, situation where I have asked people, you know, where is this leading? What's happening? What are we, right? You wanted to find something, but typically not after two dates. Um, after two dates, um, I think there is something very interesting about keeping it a little bit opaque without being an asshole yep. about it. Um so I, I certainly was for that, and then also being asked for um, to mend my my lifestyle around their schedule um, was a bit was a bit too much, um, and I did not I did did not know that the you all lesbian was an actual stereotype. You can find a lot of things um, on that online. Actually, I didn't. Maybe that was just um, coincidence. But there is such thing, and it's nice when you can put a label though on something, it, isn't it? it? it, it say what? Well, it's it's easy. You say 
I, I, I said, it's nice when you go through an experience and then you find a label for it. You can, you, you can compartmentalize it immediately and you, you put it away, right? And that's exactly what I did, which um, might not have been fair. Um, you know, maybe she had her reasons in, in acting so. Maybe she had met other women that um, were not committing before and that's why she wanted to um, tie down things as soon as possible. Um but there is such a thing um, around the UL lesbian where it's, it's obviously not a nice thing to say and nobody wants to be seen as that person. Um, apparently, when you have um, been in the closet for, I don't know, your childhood, your teenager years, even some part of your adulthood, um, and finally you're, you've come out and you're able to live freely with your sexual orientation that um, then you want to have it all. And then I read another article around women um, producing more oxy... Ox Oxytocin? Uh, ox God, no. You uh, yeah, oxytocin, oxytocin. <laughs> Well, it's it's called a cuddle hormone. So when we're cuddling up to another human being, um, we're producing that hormone and it makes us feel wanted and loved and comfortable. And it just, it, it's a cuddle hormone, as they say. So it, basically, it says everything already. Um, mm. And women yeah. are more prone to produce that or produce more of that so you know if two women mm. get together it immediately forms a stronger bond i read um which makes it more easy to commit and move in and you know not not these these dirty <laughs> games like in heterosexual relationships where you have to you know pretend to be shy or not to care um so there's apparently explanations for it all right, I want to go back, though, to what you said earlier about the that you f you sometimes feel this, am, how, how queer am I, or am I really queer when you're with, uh, sometimes when you're with a lesbian, but then when you are in a straight relationship, you start to get the, am I really straight? Like, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, um... Did I set that up you, right? You is set that, that up correctly, that yeah. And I'm as a as a as a pansexual person, I'm not alone with that. That you're um, asking, you're 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 questioning your own sexual orientation a lot um, because. But is it related to the relationship? Like, is it a kind of? Can it come in as almost like an excuse in a way? I like because you know, oh, this isn't working out. Maybe I'm not really meant to be in a queer relationship or a straight relationship is that kind of what could it is could be could be but um do you know what i i um i've been thinking about a lot this uh, a lot about this and i think it's also what the your outside um world feeds you right i mean pansexual and bisexual people have been marginalized from the from the community a lot it's like come on make up your mind you cannot be somewhere in the middle you have to be either or you're not part of this community right. you haven't because and i think we spoke this uh, about this before if i were in a straight relationship i'd be straight passing right all of a sudden my sexual orientation would be void people are thinking oh yeah she's straight and that's it like topic sorted and that's why a lot of um gay people you know i think you 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 get a pass basically you don't have the struggles that we have 
Um, and so I, I think that's, that's what comes into mind when you're with somebody, when I'm with in a, in a lesbian relationship and I am, and it's just not fitting because it's just not a good match. I start to argue, probably you're not even into this. I mean, why, why are you even doing this? Right. This is certainly not right. You should be probably, you just haven't found the right male partner yet. However, if I'm then with a male partner, it's exactly the opposite. And so you're constantly ping-ponging yeah. between these two um, scenarios. Um, and I've never been with a with another bisexual or pansexual person to um, in a relationship or or anything like that to to compare these feelings. Hmm. So what are you going to do from here? Is, is the U-Haul lesbian, she's packed up her truck and driven off? <laughs> or is she still in the picture? She's or? driven off, yeah. Um, took me a while to get her to, you know, drive off. But um, I had to know that that, that wasn't possible. Um, I don't know. Um, are you sad about it? <sighs> shitty thing to say, not for her. I mean, yeah, I feel shitty for um blowing her off like that but um for myself a little bit in terms of you know you've got to figure this out at some point of time however my hopes are up that once i'm in my new place you know if i sign that contract and i move to that new city um i'll be out there and i'll um download tinder again i'll be frequenting the gay bars and the straight bars friendships um how many does one need and is long distance friendships are long distance friendships working okay so friendship let's talk about our friendship for a sec so we met in london um 2018 maybe uh, 17 perhaps late 17 perhaps yeah, so a mutual friend of ours who uh, has listened to a couple episodes of the podcast, which I'm happy to hear, um, he he introduced us. I think I got a text saying, oh, you have to go meet Teresa. And maybe he did the same. And then we suddenly found each other in the lunchroom, either just timing worked out or some, some force brought us together there. And... Um, as far as time we've spent face to face in our friendship since then, yeah, we've, we've been on a couple of trips together, but generally 90% of our relationship is distance. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Probably 99. If you really factor in like how much physical time we've had face to face versus how much time we interact outside of our friendship. I mean, face to face consists of, you know, we've met in London Japan and Amsterdam so four times in total since we've ever met um we've we've met in person um but I want to say that you're one of my you know closest contacts and I speak to you I speak to you daily I don't speak to you but I text with you daily um yeah and I want to say that you are if there's anything to come up in my life, you are amongst the top three people for me to text and, and let them know. Um, not because I want to get on your nerves, but because I really, I think you're, 
yeah, you're just a great friend. And I know the, the opinion that comes from you will be fairly neutral. It'll never be bitchy. It'll never be, um, gosh, what's the word? It'll, it'll be always be like a valid opinion that comes from me. Like I can, I can go to you like for whether it be financial concerns, relationships or anything like that. So we have managed to, um, at least that's how, how I feel about it to, to foster a friendship across a massive distance um, with only very few personal interactions. Yeah. And I think, and I feel the same way about you, by the way, it's, um, it's, yeah, it's mutual and it's very special because I don't think you get the, these friendships don't, don't come every day. I mean, they're, they're very, very much a part of life that we have to cherish when we can have friendships like this. That kind of brings me to the other thing you wanted to talk about, which was, you know, how many friends do you need? I've thought about this before. I, as I get older, I still think I have a lot of friends, but I think when you're younger, you sort of have friends like, oh yeah, I've got all these friends. But as you get older, you start to break it down into less people, but more quality over quantity, perhaps, as we get into you know, our late thirties and me into my late forties. Mm -hmm. What were you thinking in terms of qu quantity of friends or what, what were you thinking about? So there? I think we're, and I, and I've been banging on about this, um, to, um, a lot of people who have accused me of having a lifestyle where I move around a little, a lot, and I'm probably not able to foster a lot of relationships. That mostly comes from people that I know who've stayed in, in the village, in the in the little city, and I've never moved away, so I've got a broad circle of friends. Um, so I started looking up these things, and in fact, um, and a lot of our listeners might know that, mostly you'll have three to five really close friends um, that it, it, where it's intimate, right? You might interact with them on, on different levels, like um, I've got a very intimate friend of mine, who I'll talk to any sort of like emotional well-being, but we wouldn't speak about any properly intimate topic. We've never just never gone there, but we've known each other for 15 years. Um, and so you, anyways, you have, you have three to five, four to five people who are really in like your inner circle. Um, those are called intimate friends. Then you have some close friends um, who you might have over a long span of time. Those are the next circle outside of that. Um, then casual friends, um, and then acquaintances. And that's pretty self-explanatory. Um, but like the inner circle is three to five people. And I and, and they may change. Um, and some of the statistics that I come across says um, these change over very often seven-year spans because within seven years, um, well, zero to seven, you know, kindergarten to school, and then seven to 14, that's childhood, then you're going into adolescence, then you're going into university. So, you know, seven year spans is often that um, these close friendships may last. However, there's very few, but those are the really important ones that last over a lifetime, or more than these seven years, I don't know, 40, 14, 21 years, etc. beyond that. Um, but I think that we are made to feel like 
um, a large circle of friends and the amount of people you can invite for your birthday or your wedding is somehow a, um, a signal to your, I guess, wealth or your well-being or how you how well you're set up do you sometimes feel that way yes absolutely i well i've always been told that i have like by especially by people that i'm i newly become friends with that once i start introducing them to my friends i've always had very positive things said about my circle of friends and i love seeing somebody who becomes like who is a friend of mine who I introduced to another friend. I love seeing when they become friends separately of on their own in a sense that they contact each other as as friends. I, I love that. It's it's I, I just love seeing where it isn't. I'm the common denominator in order for the friendship to happen and to keep going. I don't like it when I'm the only reason it continues. Like mm-hmm. oh, I only see so-and-so because you're because of you like when you go out and you invite him and when the three of us hang out we get along but that person wouldn't necessarily reach out directly and hang out with that person so i love when people cultivate friendships afterward like you dan for example this is a great example where you and i aren't only friends when dan is around we are friends when we're separate we've made our own friendship we've cultivated we've in a way i probably talked to you more than I talk to Dan now in a lot of ways. So again, I like the, there's a lot of stuff in here, you know, quantity over quality. And But I do look at, I, I do when I had like my 40th birthday party, I, I, we had a lot of friends over and I was, I was happy about it because the people that were there, I was, I, it is, I guess, a little bit like a, it's a certain amount of wealth to a certain degree, but I didn't kind of fill the party with people just to fill fill it up. Like mm-hmm. I, I legitimately had these were good friends, and it wasn't like I was. They call it papering the audience when it comes to you know give free tickets away to an event <laughs> just to put seats people in yeah, seats. Yeah. I wasn't doing that at all. These were all people I've known for a very long time, or the ones even that I didn't know that long. They were still people that I considered good friends. Yeah. Do you ever, <laughs> in in moments where I consider you know where are all my friends and where would they you know who do i call (laughs) have you ever considered who's going to attend your um your funeral we all go through these thoughts right yeah yes so quick answer yes and this is where i often compare my my self to my parents and there are I, i went for a run today and during that run i said to my friend who i was running with I've used my parents a little bit as a what not to do in life. And one of them is their physical, the physical exercising and, and just, they just don't do it. I don't think they've ever done anything physical since they've turned 40. Like they don't have activities. I mean, maybe walks and things like that, but I've, there's two things I've always wanted to be better at than my parents. One was my health and my physical fitness. The other one is my friendship circle. I want to have, I'm not just doing it as a way of collecting friends. It's not that, but I do want to have a lot of people show up at my funeral. You want to, yeah. Well, and, and well, ideally before that, you want to have a network, right? If, um, Things turn to, I mean, 
people showing up your at your funeral and I guess you have to filter it right because there's probably going to people who would be you know who definitely would have shown up but there's financial constraints if you have friends that are in in Japan they cannot just fly over if that were to happen in in in, in Canada um but it's it's you know the ones you can count on that they would definitely do that beyond any any means um so it's it's about creating that network um and i do remember when one time this was after my mom had passed away and i thought my life was turning to absolute shit i mean i was just at such a rock bottom that i went to um speak to a grief counselor and i sat there and i said like look i think this is just this is I didn't think it was the start, but I kind of, in my mind, it was like, this is where it's all turning to shit. Next thing, and I've just had broken up badly with somebody. Um, next thing, I'll be losing my job, um, and then I'll be out on the street. No more financial means, nothing. Like, in my head, I was I was out there, and he said, no, 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 wait a minute. That's not how quickly it happens. Let's go through the relationships and the network that you have, like, Number one, how much money have you got on your in your bank account? How much? How how long does it last you? And when that is all um, gone, you've gone through that. Where can you? And whose door can you knock to to ask for? Hey, can I stay on your couch for two weeks? Um, and that's that's sort of like making up part of your wealth as well. And and as you think about that, yeah, there'll be some people you come across who're like, I'm not sure if they would really do that for me two days, three days, perhaps, but for a longer period mm. of time. And as you go through that thought exercise, however, you come across a how wealthy you, you really are. Um, and from my personal standpoint, I think, um, yeah, in my, in my home village or in that region, I don't have many people left because we all left after high school. Everybody is just somewhere else. But we're distributed around this globe um, but there would be a support network, people that be like, yeah, I'll help you out with $100. Yeah, you can sleep at my couch for 14 days or two, you know, however long. I, I like this as a, I'm going to say it before I forget, but we talked a while back about the get out of Mexican jail friends, mm -hmm. you know, when you've, you've been, you know, arrested in Tijuana or something. And, you know, you, you somehow are able to contact a friend who gathers a bunch of resources and breaks you out of this jail at three in the morning and gets you across the border. Um, I like this other one here. Maybe it's a kind of a measurement. If you scan your group of fr your friends and go through each and say, yeah, how, how long would that friend let me sleep on their couch for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll go three days max or a month. And just, just to give yourself a sense of, uh, I don't know. That could be telling you more than just whether they're nice people or close friends. But there's also those friends we have who could we stand living on their couch for 14 days or two, or could they stand us living? I think it kind of goes goes both ways. Mm -hmm. And I think, but how it's just um, it gets really complex in my mind as I think about this because you have to measure them by different standards, right? If there's a person who's got to just like a bed sit. And they're saying, hey, buddy, one week and I've got, you know, I'm a, I'm a young doctor. I've got night shifts and everything. If they say three days, that's a lot already or a week, that's a lot already. Whereas if I come to you and you've got your 
beautiful house in Canada. And you're like, oh, Teresa, one week is enough. I'm like, you're a dick, Clark. Come on, you know. I've got a shed in the garden. Let me sleep there. Um, there you go, yes. <laughs> um, but an interesting topic, by the way, calling out of jail. Yeah, I have, um, as I've been I come from a family that doesn't speak English it's and it, they're not quite international. And I always wondered if something were to, like if I were to be kidnapped and I've got just one call, who would I call, right? Because, um, or, or like an accident or somebody needed to communicate in another language other than German. Um, and th th funnily enough, there is a person from our previous workplace that I have on mind. And I was like, this is the person that's most connected most well-spoken, smartest, who I'd be, it doesn't matter how long I've been away from this job, I would call as the first instance and I would ask them to like, you know, call these and these agents or um, um, foreign offices, call my family and then these, just it, one call to set it all off and that's my joker sort mm -hmm. of, yeah. Yeah, lots there. I think we could, uh, I hope listeners are actually maybe running through their friends <laughs> as, as we're talking here and thinking, oh, yeah, hmm, who would I be able to depend on to break me out of a, a, a jail somewhere? And I think I wanted, you could almost tee it up because you could say, interestingly, how you mentioned the language part. Let's assume that if you take all of, that whoever it is you call is able to speak any language that would need to be spoken. If you remove the element of, okay, well, yeah, they only speak German, so they're only going to be so helpful. Let's say they could speak multiple languages. Would they then rise to the top of the list in terms of someone that would, would be one of the... I think it's more about the dedication and the, you know, no questions asked, perhaps, approach that if you scan through your list of friends, who's the one that's going to not ask a lot of questions. You can just call them and say, here's the situation. Um, who are, who is that friend? Who is the, the man or the woman that is on your, could be on your speed dial to, to step, step in. I'm just throwing it out as a rhetorical question right now, but I, I ask everyone to think about that for a sec. Is it a family member? Is it your spouse? Is it your best friend from, from that you've had since your whole life? Who is that person? Mm -hmm. But but they have to go together. It's qualitative and quantitative in that way, right? If you have somebody who would do anything for you but doesn't speak the language, well, I guess you can count on them going to the next... It's like, leave it with me. I'll find somebody who can deal with the language barrier of this, right? Yeah, so so the maybe the qualitative piece is is better than the what I would call the quantitative bit. Um yeah, but it kind of goes to, like, who does that for you and who's got the capabilities and you've just got one call. But after that, it can obviously spread. Very interesting. Um, maybe we'll do we'll do a follow-up call on that, evaluating our friendships. Sounds You'd good. You'd be definitely a person I'd call. <clears throat> yeah, and I think you're someone that I could call in terms of that no questions asked sort of, okay, I've got a situation. I, I don't think there's going to be tons of judgment being heaped on. You know, that's the thing that it makes those types of calls so tough is just, it's kind of like what our parents, at least what the parents, the best thing a parent could say was, 
look, if you've been drinking and you need to come me to come pick you up, uh, A, I don't want you driving anywhere. B, I don't want you to go with someone who's also been drinking. That no questions asked phone call that has no, how could you do this? It can come at any time of night. I will be there to pick you up. I think that's the best thing that a parent can say to their kid. Um, and then you can deal with the rest of it later. Exactly. Good point. Yeah, I like that. Do you have a product that you wanted to share today for to plug? Um, God, I thought about one earlier on and then escaped me. No, I have not prepared a product. Do you have a product? Yeah, I'll share a product. It's um, a book I've been reading. It's called Atomic Habits by a guy named James Clear. James Clear, he's a huge student of habit forming. A lot of what he says is based on some of the teachings by a guy named Charles Duhigg, who wrote a book, I think it's called The Power of Habit, I believe. And um, I won't get into a lot of detail, but I'm only just starting the book. I haven't finished it. I've only read a couple chapters. But I really like how he talks about how and why we form both good and bad habits and these, he's got a kind of, you know, there's like the cue, there's a reward, there's all these elements to why we get ourselves into uh, forming these good and bad habits. Um, and it could be another thing we could talk about in a little bit more detail. But just for the listeners, the book, if you're looking at how to f- what's involved in habits and forming of good and bad habits, James Clear's Atomic Habits is uh, excellent so far. Okay, so next time we talk, you'll be back in Germany. That's right. I assume. Hopefully some more things to report on. Okay, looking forward to it. Same here. See you soon.